This is Coder Radio, episode 420 for June 30th, 2021. Hello, good looking, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. You know, they got that cloud playground, Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us during an all encompassing Florida heat, it is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. I'm melting. I'm melting. How are you doing over there? Is it hot? Uh, it's hot as a mother, but a really warm mother who's been baking pies all day. But <laughs> okay, good. I mean, Lisa's delicious and smells good. Yeah, it was so hot here that I shut the studio down on Monday, and so we're doing the show on a Wednesday again. So I am doing the show in boxers and a white undershirt. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I got new summer light clothing that uh, I just normally don't have to wear, but this year, tell you what. You know, if this was a video show, they'd call it Coders Gone Wild in my case, because <laughs> I'm just sweating through this. Now, I tried to put on the robe, but that was like insulating the heat. That's not what you want. I know. That's why I think I should do. I should just wait uh, to do a run of the robes for a while, because A, there's still supply chain issues. And B, like it's the middle of summer. Like right now, what you want is something light. Although I was thinking, you know, you could start the day in the coder and then just transition to nothing but shorts or boxers in your case. I was thinking. Coder thongs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like a little Speedo for the hottest of days. That's all you need. Or when you're out wearing your yoga pants and you don't want your lines to show. No, I'm talking about coding in a thong. Oh. Like straight up. I would worry that would ride, you know, it just doesn't seem like that'd be comfortable. I think, I think when you're sitting all day, you want the boxer briefs, you know, cause you don't, you don't want things too loose. I trust you to find the, the most forgiving of thong straps possible. Maybe I could, you know, something elasticy that uh, that allowed that grows with you, if you will. <laughs> oh. Optimus Gray says uh, no pictures of that one, though. I think I agree. If we do that, no pictures. But I am enjoying all the robe pictures that are coming in. Shadow Seven's going all day with the robe. Doesn't matter if it's warm or not. And uh, in some sort of, uh, I don't know if it was like uh, heat rash or the heat flu, but uh, I ended up spending like the last five days in Windows 11 during this time. That's what I did while it was hot, is I played with Windows 11. Obviously, you have a fever. And you went the other way. You you ended up playing with Linux, but we'll get to that. You know, and I'm going to be honest, there was about a solid five minutes where I was like, I could switch to this. I could switch to this. And it was the moment when, when I got multiple Linux distros installed, and I looked at, and I was probably, you know, an hour or two into setting up Windows 11, and I looked down at my battery life and it only gone down like 10%, which is just remarkably, remarkably better than it does under Linux on my X1. And then additionally, they're using some sort of like Dolby sound mixing under the Windows audio driver. So the speakers are significantly louder and easier to understand voice under Windows than they are under Linux. And then you combine that with the new Windows terminal, which is pretty slick. And I was I was really enjoying it. And their new launcher is a lot like Plasma. It is a lot like Plasma. And I like that. And then you add in their new window management stuff. And surprise, surprise, but the operating system named Windows, I think, is now the best at managing Windows. I mean, they have 
they have this great feature when you when you slam an application to the side of the screen in the other half of the screen it exposes all of the available windows and i just microsoft has just nailed that and it's just great in windows 11 too and um it makes it really simple to get up and just get a couple applications that are kind of connected together on your screen and then you can move them over to a virtual desktop i mean the whole thing is it's a really good experience as far as windows goes I was expecting it to be a little more polished. I thought I wouldn't find those old control panels from NT4, but they're still in there. You know, you still go down a couple of layers into the advanced settings and you're right back into the early early 2000s UI. But uh, overall, I think it's probably one of the best releases of Windows yet. There's a lot of fuss about the hardware requirements right now, but we could save that for a future episode. But you put this you put Windows 11 on some physical hardware with uh decent specs and it's a real treat to use. And it it feels very snappy. It feels remarkably fast. It, it, the same applications day to day I use on Linux, Telegram, Slack, Discord, web browsers, um, they just seem faster and snappier uh, on Windows 11 than they do on Linux on my same machine. And I don't enjoy saying that. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Windows design and the way Windows works and the architecture feels legacy. So I'm, you know. I'm off onto Linux again already, but it was a, it was a good few days. I really am impressed with what they've done with Windows 11. There's still a lot in the works too. There's more to come. Let me let me poop on your parade a little bit. Yeah, did you get a chance to like try it out at all? No, of course not. For the same reason, anybody who wants to be an indie developer isn't going to. Windows isn't cool. I agree. I mean, Windows 11 feels like it has more hype than it normally gets. Yeah, but that's bullshit. It's Windows 10 with a lipstick with lipstick on. It'll pass. It is definitely Windows 10. Right. Because when I did try it in a VM, the VM detected it as Windows 10 and did an auto install. Well, it is Windows 10. I mean, not to draw Dragon the other topic, but it's Cosmic versus, you know, GNOME. They're the same damn thing. Yeah, that's actually, hmm, that's a good point. It's a perfect analogy, right? Cosmic has some choices made by System76. For those who don't know, Cosmic is there. Can we even call, can we call it a flavor? Desktop environment? I mean, Windows 11 and Cosmic have the same problem in that they're pretending to be something they're not. Cosmic is GNOME, right? Yes. Windows 11 is Windows 10. And like, if you want to know why Cosmic is GNOME, for the Linux folks in our crowd, it's because it suffers from all the same limitations as GNOME. It's kind of, in my mind, the worst of all worlds. I like it. I like the choices, but I feel like they should have not done it. The same with Windows 11. This is not Windows 11. This is Windows 10 with the freaking dock. That's what it is. And Cosmic is GNOME with some optimization for developers. And a dock. They're missing an obvious key one that Windows has, which is snap, you know, snap on the quarters, right? The quarters of your screen. Like, whoever wants to manually move a tile with their cursors. I, and I like Pop! OS. I just think that... I, I sort of don't care about Windows 11 because it's obvious garbage and they're just trying to capitalize on the fact that people are buying laptops because of COVID. But, like, Cosmic is... That's bullshit. That's not its own desktop environment. And I, I love all the folks at System76. But, like, either... Admit that you're using GNOME, or what I would prefer, if you're going to become the Mac of Linux, write your own Aqua. 
right? Write your own desktop environment. I've had the GNOME people on my own interview show. GNOME is just, I don't love GNOME. I think there's problems. I don't love KDE. I think anyone who says the Linux desktop environments are better than Mac is smoking crack. (laughs) I thought I would be taking the position you're taking right now. And I'd be, this is what I'd be blasting you with. And now that you're blasting me with it, I'm kind of seeing some of the flaws in the argument. So, number one. It sucks, dude. Gnome crashes every time my new, brandy new Thaleo out of the box goes to sleep. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a piece of shit. Like, I'm going to return this thing. I, I don't even know what to do here. I love, I love the OS. I hate the desktop environment. And it's not System 76's fault, because I know I have friends there and they're going to be upset. Gnome is a waste of time. Like someone has to write Aqua. And when I say write Aqua, I mean, admit that Linux desktop is not as good as Mac or Windows for that sake. And just catch up to Mac, like catch up to Snow Leopard. It's all you have to do. If there was something that was maybe like brand new, then I I could see, okay, it takes years to build what you want, right? So what, what I think the way they see it is, the GNOME technologies, GTK, and all of that stack are like a technology platform that they're going to build on sort of iteratively like they have with POP in general. Like when they launched POP, there was no Cosmic. Yeah, but but, but I, I, stop. G- GNOME is fundamentally broken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't speak to KDE because I've never been a KDE user or developer. But GNOME, the extension model, is just broken. It's not how I would design it. If I could just wave a wand, they would have built it on top of Plasma. They would have made Plasma more approachable to people like you. It used the technology stack that seems to be superior. Hang on. It's not about being approachable. It's about when someone writes a desktop extension for macOS, like an app that does something in your toolbar, that little app can't crash your goddamn OS or your your entire, I, I take it back, it's not the OS, the desktop environment in most cases, right? that's true for plasma too you know their widgets are on in their own process they're their own process and all that that's not true for for gnome extensions for the most part right that's why i say if i could wave a magic wand they would have built it on top of plasma technologies but you know i asked i've asked them about that and it just simply comes down to they were already shipping gnome a gnome based system so their customers are already using gtk apps and they'd also built up in-house expertise around gtk and gnome And it's what they like to use internally. So it's just the stack they went with. But I don't think that makes Cosmic a total loss because if they could start replacing components of GNOME that you don't like with applications that they're building in Rust and TypeScript, over time, it could get somewhere. I mean, it's version one, right? When Pop! OS first shipped, there was no Cosmic. It was just a theme on GNOME. And now here we are like two or three, what, three, three or four major releases of Pop! later. Uh, not counting, so I don't actually know, but it's several releases of Pop later. Now they're getting to this stage, uh, but you know, you take it another another two or three releases. It, it could be they could be ended up, you know, they're pulling out significant chunks of GNOME shell and replacing it with their own code. I don't know, but they do seem to have this iterative building approach with it. Right now, what they're kind of doing is they're doing a best of breed GNOME shell desktop with extensions that are either they've forked or are really well known and reliable. Yeah, I'll give you that. Out of yeah, so for Linux desktops, Cosmic is my preferred solution. My, I guess my problem is why not burn the forest down, right? Like you're building hardware, you're doing all this stuff, and maybe the answer is you know what? There's too much hard. Like I could, like as an 
Apple guy, I could definitely see, listen, man, there's so many, you know, graphics cards, so many CPUs. Writing a desktop environment is just really goddamn hard and we need to base it off something. Yep, yep. And maybe that's the answer and that's why Aqua will always be better. I don't know. Well, and you also have to consider like when Pop launched, it was out of the ashes of Unity's announcement that it was dead. And so it was kind of initially it's we got to start doing our own thing and we need to continue with as much momentum as we have. Oh, I totally agree with you. Everything wrong with desktop Linux is Canonical's fault. Yes, I think we all agree on that. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> so Windows 11. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> WSL for Linux. Ubuntu's never run better. Literally, it's never run better. <laughs> it does run pretty good, although um, it's a little boring. Like you get it all set up and done. You're like, OK, well, now what? So what I did is I set it as my default terminal. So now when I launch the terminal, it's just Ubuntu. Everybody does that. Listen, the problem with WSL is that it works too good and it's hard to bitch about. Yeah, it's just really boring. It's just, it works. It's just plumbing. It's like, oh, so I guess I can install games and run Linux at the same time. Hmm, how am I going to do a podcast about this now? And then uh, VS Code's like, hey, uh, I see you got WSL. You want me to just hook all that plumbing right up for you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then you open Gnome and it's like, hey, I see you changed your desktop background. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Always with the background. Every time. <laughs> Every <laughs> time. <laughs> never let it go. Never forgive. Never, ever. Because if you wrote this in something like C or C++ or ready, ready. Objective, Objective C. C. Yeah. Instead of having like JavaScript extensions that run a one process. Hey, Tim Berners-Lee's NFT sold for $5.4 million. And what language was that written in? Objective-C. Roasted. I'm just saying. I'm just, you know, I think it proves that Objective-C is clearly still worth money. So, you know, what? I'm starting a new Linux desktop environment. I'm starting a new one. It's G-A-N-O-M-E. But... Before the G is an open bracket, and after the E is a closed bracket. <laughs> I'm going to call it Gnome. Real-time follow-up. Uh, the first release of Pop! OS was October 2017. Thank you, Chaotic. Uh, you know, here's the, other, here's the other thing about... Just Then we'll move on. But um, this is what I've noticed each time I take a pass at Windows 10 and now 11. And it holds true for every time I took a pass at Plasma Desktop. It took me four solid attempts of switching to Plasma before it stuck. Because every time I got super frustrated and I just bailed. And so it it took me like trying it. And, and I've noticed that was... Sounds a lot like my ex-wife. And, and Windows. Every time I try out Windows 10 and now Windows 11, it gets a little bit easier because I remember a little bit from each time and I apply that and it's a smoother and smoother transition each time. You know, because the thing is, is the Linux workstation and OS itself is such a fantastic workstation platform and OS. And the, you know, the, the built-in support for a lot of the technologies that you're going to deploy in the cloud are right there on the desktop. It really does just come down to finding the right environment on the top. And for some people, you know, what they end up doing is like these super minimal desktop environments that are basically nothing but windows and terminals. And, and they don't bother with the, the desktop environments that have all the bells and whistles. Right, because there is no good rich desktop environment on Linux. Yes, I, I, I understand. I mean, that might be their argument. Yeah, it could be. I, that would be my argument. So, okay. The Thaleo I just got literally runs Tomb Raider. The, not the old one. The uh, I don't even know how to... You know, the, the one that came out in the 2010s. The one where you start out like in the snow and stuff and it's like you're climbing a mountain? No, it's, it's, it's the one where like Laura Croft is young and she doesn't have ridiculous boobs. Oh. oh, for some reason, I never played that one. <laughs> I can't imagine what turned you off. No, but it, but the graphics on this 12 gigabyte NVIDIA GPU are amazing. 
What's not amazing is the stuttering on Gnome when it goes into sleep mode and then decides like Gnome doesn't know what the hell it's doing. And I feel like my Mac can sleep for days because I do it all the time and it just doesn't care. Now, granted, I will be like, I think I've been ducking on my friends at System76 a little bit. For my purposes, this machine is perfect. It is a flight simulator, right? I am playing games on it now because I have to install it in the actual space it's going to be working and I'm fooling around until I do that. But it's fine. Like, it will run my simulations perfectly. Mazel tov and maybe we don't talk about this enough, but getting NVIDIA GPUs to work on anything is apparently a pain in the ass. And System76 has done this well. So it's true. Hats off. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm interested though, you know, we could keep talking about the cosmic thing as time goes on. I want to try it out. I haven't got a good experience, like a good chance to try it. Cause I was messing around with windows 11. This is perverse, but I find it much more pleasurable to work on, on my Lenovo ThinkPad X1. Yeah. Because, it has the touchpad gestures. Yes. Yep. It's funny. I think GNOME, I like GNOME, GNOME-based desktops on laptops, and I like Plasma-based desktops on workstations that have big screens and stuff. Laptops for the GNOME stuff, Plasma for the desktop stuff, and that seems to work pretty well for me. I feel the same way I on a desktop. I think I actually prefer Aqua. Do you even call it Aqua anymore, or am I just dating myself? No, but I know what you mean. You just mean the Mac UI. What do they call it? That must have a name. I don't know if they call it anything now. Because, like, Aqua was the blue buttons and... I feel really old right now, Chris. You're hurting me. <sighs> but I know what you mean. Like, it invokes, like, the you know, you mean that Mac UI. Right, like the classic... I mean, I haven't updated this iMac Pro that's sitting sad in the corner because Thalio took its plate. Um, when I say plate, I mean plate. The Thalio literally ate its dinner tonight. I kind of feel like when you say it's Aqua, it really undersells it. And then the Linux listeners that listen to the show think, oh, it's just the Mac UI, which isn't even that consistent anymore. But it's actually it's so much more than that. It's actually the way well, it doesn't it doesn't bloody it doesn't crash when it resumes from sleep. I don't even know what to say like that's or, or how it handles multiple displays and all. Like It's a big, complicated thing you're trying to solve with a desktop system. So no, I, I think what I want to I want to try it. I, I if you ever had a wild hair and you want to just try a Linux that's way out there and totally different, it has its own desktop environment. Open SUSE. Deepin. Deepin. D E P I N. I think it's really it's out there. It's a totally different desktop UI. Well, here's the thing. It's funny because I I do all my simulation stuff on on Thalios right now because I apparently am the number one Thalio customer in the state of Florida for reasons that make no sense. But I still prefer to use them as virtualization and simulation machines because I really don't like, I don't know. It's, and it's not pop necessarily. It's GNOME. Like for instance, I tweeted something this morning. Can I just bitch about Linux for a little while? Yeah. No, I think people, it helps people understand what's wrong because you know, we complain and giving some details actually helps people understand. Like there, there is a power saver Wi-Fi setting in Linux that is on by default in POP, and I'm assuming because it's on by default in Ubuntu. For those who don't know, POP is effectively a derivative of Ubuntu. I'll be a little careful with that, but it is. I mean, is that still fair to say, Chris? I don't want to like... Yeah. On my brand new 12 gigabyte NVIDIA, you know, Papa West Alia with 64 gigs of RAM, I was getting half the bandwidth I was getting on my MacBook Air sitting next to it. Why? Because the default setting in some text file on the Wi-Fi adapter was set to power saver. You change, literally, you change a uh, numeral three to the numeral two. 
I doubled my bandwidth. Yeah. On a desktop. On a desktop. This is a desktop machine. Right. Not a not a little ultrabook. I could see doing that. Like that's crazy. It's one, it's crazy that that's the default. Two, if that's gonna be the default, there should be some pop-up in the notification tray there that says, Hey dog, just so you know, I'm crippling your bandwidth for battery life. Well, I think this is the crux. The problem is it's two different developers or teams. It's not the same team. So the people make the UI. It's a freaking tower. It's 30 pounds. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like the people that make like the uh, the networking subsystem that uh, does that part of it, they're not they're not the same people who make network manager and the and then they're not the same people who make network network managers UI for Gnome. That's even somebody else. So it's like three, it's three turtles removed. And that's, that I think is where Linux suffers, where if Apple were to roll out a new Wi-Fi standard or LTE modems, they would, the, the people who, the team that is responsible for the Wi-Fi menu in Mac OS would, would be required to update that menu to support that new hardware functionality. It's, it's laughable to even picture, it's the idea that Apple would ship a MacBook MX1 with LTE and not update their Mac bar, their Mac menu to update to support it, that, that would have never happen. That's laughable. Right? But that is exactly what happens in Linux land because it takes different teams and different people working on it. Okay, but this is an issue I've had on every Linux desktop I've ever had for the last three years. And it, it's even trickier because different distros do different things. I just I just want to like hit this a little harder. Let's say you're a Mac switcher. Right. And you're coming to, uh, you know, literally a Thaleo is like the Cadillac, in my opinion, of what you can get as a Mac switcher. Then you have your Mac mini or your iMac next to it. And it's getting double the down rate that your brandy new Thaleo that probably has better specs is getting. Yeah. You're probably going to return that mother (laughs) and go back to your Mac. Right. Unless you know how to go into Vim. First, you have to install Vim because Ubuntu thinks Nano is great. Nano is garbage. Wow. Emacs is good though. So, but Nano, let's just, we can all agree they suck. And like literally edit confile, like, no, it's 2021. Is it 2021? Yeah, it's 2021. The default should be maximum bandwidth. That's going to be your bottleneck. It's ridiculous. I almost literally like was like, all right, there's something wrong with this computer until I decided to like, oh, wait, I had this problem like a year ago. Let me go look and see if what the setting is. But you, I had to know that. It's the same with uh, USB audio devices in some cases on Linux. There can be settings that change for power purposes or bandwidth or whatever. And it's kind of on you to discover it. And really, it just kind of requires you even know that's a thing you have to go check. And that's just something that's going to take people building UI to make work. It's not a bad idea to have those options. You know, you could say maybe on a mobile device, that'd be useful. But it needs to be exposed to the user to toggle it on or off i mean we're getting into like product design here right but i would say in this case the default should be maximum bandwidth right and then you pop up a warning that says yo dog i am drawing power like a mother because i'm trying to get maximum bandwidth sure you can take a 50 percent hit for you know n percent battery life back instead it's the other way it defaults to preserving your battery life on a desktop i mean it's a little Dumb. Yeah, it's because there must be an, you know, it's like if there was like a low power mode and when you entered that low power mode and it was like this global desktop setting, everything that could be turned down got turned down, then you could understand it. And then you go out of that low power mode and everything should be turned back up. But it doesn't work like that. It's almost like there's an OS that does that already. 
<laughs> probably the bloke that wrote that whole thing is writing it for some mobile device. And then, you know, they just assume if you're on Wi-Fi, you're mobile. <laughs> oh, no, there's like some dude on an like Gen 1 SP- XPS Sputnik that's like, I don't know, man, I'm in the cafe. I f- I gotta, it's got to last for like six hours. What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> Linode.com slash coder. Go there to try out the largest independent cloud provider and support the show. You also get $100 in credit. Linode.com slash coder. No matter what skill level you're at, if you've built thousands of servers or maybe you've never launched a server before, no matter what stack you prefer to use, Linode can help your ideas come to life on the web. And if you ever run into any trouble with your system, they have amazing 24-7 customer support by phone or by ticket. They also have hundreds of guides and tutorials, so you can find a lot of a lot of information there. I took advantage of this when I first discovered Linode by deploying multiple different types of WordPress setups. I was like, all right, if I'm if I'm gonna do another dang WordPress blog, I want to make it as fast as possible. I want like the fastest WordPress blog I've ever done. And so I deployed several different options on Linode. They have one-click deployments, they have stack script deployments that are contributed by the community. And of course, you build it up yourself. And I I tried each one of them out and then picked the one that worked fastest for me. And it was the Lightspeed WordPress combo setup that they have. It was just crazy fast. Everything was essentially static. It was like a static site version of WordPress. And now I could think, you know, I could even up that, you know, because now Linode has made cloud firewalls available to everybody in the last year. They have load balancers I could put in front of it. That'd make it even snappier. They have S3 compatible object storage. That'd be great for my assets. Like there's a lot of ways you can combine the different technologies. And if you just have never done this before, you can get started with something that's really straightforward, like $5 a month. That's your server. You deploy an application on it. As you grow your skill level, or maybe you're just more comfortable with this stuff, you can mix and match these individual services at incredibly good prices, 30 to 50% less than, say, like what Amazon's doing. And of course, Linode started in 2003, so they've been around longer than Amazon. And instead of trying to launch every single service that they could rip off, they just focused on building great cloud computing. They're dedicated to making things run great on Linode, and that's what their core focus has been. And so as new companies came along with crazy VC funding that we're going to try to dump on the market, Linode had to adapt and make their service even more competitive. And they did that by getting the fastest systems possible, by getting the best dashboard and the best customer support possible, and doubling down on their core ideals that made them really as popular as they are. That's why you got to go check it out for yourself and see what I've been talking about. Sign up today at linode.com slash coder. Get $100 in credit for 60 days on a new account, and you support this here podcast. That's linode.com slash coder. So did you see this story that I think is even more interesting in the context of all of the antitrust stuff that's moving forward, including a bill that actually is genuinely gaining steam right now? Google and Microsoft had a five-year ceasefire deal where they essentially had an agreement to resolve things themselves instead of bitching to the regulators That expired recently, and neither company has any interest in renewing this truce treaty between them, this treaty of not bitching to the regulators, and now is setting up shop in individual regulators' offices, dishing on each other, giving them ammunition to build these antitrust cases. So this non-aggression pact, which was formed, I think, when Sache was new, essentially, between Google and Microsoft, it's over And they're using these antitrust bills and the regulators around them and the Congress critters as pieces in some sort of chess match against each other. Yes, they're all doing the Queen's Gambit here. 
Do you remember when some paranoid psycho used to come on the show? His name was Mike. I don't know if you ever heard of him. And would say that indie devs were getting snuffed out because all the big companies, the big tech companies had deals with each other. Yeah, and you, you had this crazy idea they were colluding, and that was just lunacy. And people like, I don't know, some guy named Ben on Twitter and a couple another guy named Larko would frankly just ignore me and be mean. Um, but like, you know, more prominent indie developers would dunk on me and say that's not true. And it turned out many of them had also like independent deals with these companies. Turns <laughs> out, hey, what a what a what a coincidence. Huh. Funny how that worked out. Yeah, so huh, funny. So in twenty twelve, when some maniac said that th- these companies do deals with each other's mm-hmm. to avoid scrutiny right. and to privilege themselves and their friends. In light of this. Is it that crazy to think that Apple and Microsoft are helping each other out? Because what are the chances? What are the chances? Microsoft makes a big stink about how their store is a better alternative to what Apple's doing. Sache directly goes after Apple on stage at developers and pitches the case that they have a better developer story and you can use the payment system you want. And you can even put your progressive web app in our Microsoft store and Netflix. You can list in here and we won't even take a percentage. They went out and outlined in every single way possible how they are providing market competition to Apple at what might be the most essential moment for some huge player to step up and present market competition so that Apple can point to them, say to the regulators, look what Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, a $2 trillion company, just set up on stage. They're coming for us. And look what Google's saying. And they just gifted Apple this huge, huge gift of being a competitor. And what are the chances that it just so happens that when the government had Microsoft on its knees they somehow came together, Apple and Microsoft, and created this huge deal that kept the Mac platform going, providing viable competition to Microsoft that at the time Microsoft could then point to and say, look at this viable competitor. We're even shipping our office software over there. And now Apple is returning the favor. It's this back and forth thing they have where they essentially help each other keep the regulators off each other's back. And if you think that's crazy, is that any crazier than Google and Microsoft having a five-year ceasefire? That sounds nuts. Well, this sounds a lot like, you know, Samael and, uh, you know, Rick have two warring Celtic tribes. (laughs) And the way to end the war is Samael promises that his son will marry Rick's daughter. And therefore, they will be united once that marriage happens against their enemy, the Emming Effer FCC. Like, is that is that what we're saying? I mean, I just feel like there's a it's when you see the way these companies um, and you remember, OK, just to step back even further, you and I were just reading a Steve Jobs email earlier today where he emails Bill Gates and is like, I'm sorry, I'm, I think we were luxuriating in a Steve Jobs email. <laughs> yes, we were enjoying this email. It's been floating around on Twitter. Uh, it was fabulous. And it's basically Steve Jobs saying, hey, if you don't knock it off and stop talking quick time, we're going to just blast you guys and we're going to have to end our relationship. And it's this back and forth, like, let's carve out a little bit of market for you. We'll carve out a little bit of market for me kind of email that also corresponds with another Steve Jobs email that came out recently where he was emailing the Adobe CEO and they were colluding on not poaching each other's employees 
essentially suppressing employee wages and, and competitive options. Well, of course. Yeah, I know. I what the Of course fuck? he was. I know. But it just demonstrates right there where they're essentially backroom colluding over email. Wait, 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 back room. I do that. I mean, oh, wait. (laughs) No, I'm not saying I understand. You know, Apple hires these talented engineers or Adobe does that takes them years to get the right people in there. And then somebody comes and poaches them. I get it. In In a completely hypothetical world. Let's just say there were two small dev shops of roughly equal size in the same local market. Let's say one focused on the sailing for fun industry, i.e. cruises. One did aviation. Maybe a thing that could happen is they would have a, a couple drinks and say, here's the deal, buddy. Our software is actually very, very similar, right? Let's not cross the line here because if we compete, prices will go down and we don't want that to happen. So you stay in your ships. I'll stay in my planes. That's Ooh la la. Oh, <laughs> the, so the title for this one, the one where Mike admits to antitrust collusion, but it's too small to matter. <laughs> like, but that, that's like a that's like a normal business deal to me. Is this bad? Is that really wrong? No, it makes sense. Actually, I understand. If JB ever hired one, one of my employees away from me, I would first of all, you know, I would freak out. Rawr! Right. Like I'd go nuts. Well, especially, you know, it's funny because these are huge companies and you and I were like, it could wreck a company like at that at our scale. Well, we would take it super personally. Right. Like it would be like, you like well and just financially like it's one of the biggest costs and burdens is to bring an employee on board to onboard i think we should just both fire everybody yeah yeah really so i know i don't actually think apple and microsoft are colluding but it's in the back of my mind yes he does it is in the back of my mind they're colluding to bring us clippy it exists in visual studio code for windows mac and linux now well okay is it okay so a couple of the good old boys in the tech in the tech original OG tech companies, Microsoft and Apple get together and say, I'll scratch my back. You scratch your back, our back, whatever, just like we used to do back in the nineties. And you know what? Maybe we'll, we'll knock Facebook, Twitter and Google down a peg or two and we'll come out looking all, all clean. You know, maybe, maybe there's some kind of conversation. I don't know. It it just takes an email. It takes one email. But Chris, to be fair, who hasn't wanted to bitch slap Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. I I mean, they're going to walk right into it. I'll tell you. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. I feel not good about it. I have to tell you. It's Congress, buddy. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, you know, like a lun- like a lunatic this week, I'm actually just at least entertaining the argument that uh, sideloading is actually a bad idea and that it shouldn't be enabled. And that if you want sideloading, go to the Android. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm entertaining that idea this week. Not saying I agree. I agree with you because I just had to do three hours of tech support for a relative. So. Yeah. And what happens, you know, all it takes is one popular application like Fortnite, Fortnite or your works app or some school app. Wait, we had the same application in mind that caused the problem. Fortnite. Well, because it happened on Android. You know, people had to start sideloading for Fortnite and then immediately bogus versions of Fortnite showed up on the web. People don't know what they're doing. They downloaded them and they messed their devices up and loaded them up with spyware. And, you know, when we've talked about the sideloading argument before for the iPhone, we've always talked about it in the context of applications for geeks tools that you and I would load, things that we know what we'd be doing with. But honestly, average users would get screwed at some point. Somebody would try to install a bogus Fortnite or some some large school institution would require that students turn on sideloading so that way they can load their custom applications and then they leave sideloading on and something goes wrong and it gets exploited. It, it does change the fundamental promise of the iPhone and the iPad. And the one thing that really sticks with me is 
I had family members who were anti-computers. Like that was still a thing. Like they just refused to use computers until the iPad came along. And now they love the iPad. And it's, it's people that are in their, in their, in their kind of like, you know, golden years and it's young kids. It's the whole spectrum. And the thing that I think is universally appealing to them is they know there is pretty much a 0% chance they're going to screw their iPad up by installing an app from the app store or deleting it. And when you change that fundamental promise, it takes something away from those users. And if they cared enough, they could go get an Android tablet and they could sideload. And I just, I, I wonder, I'm not saying that's how I feel permanently, but I wonder if we would be losing something. And maybe the iPhone should be more of a console for users who don't want something that complicated. And then there's other devices like the, like the Pine devices or Android devices that are that range in quality and features that let power users do things on their system that they want. And it, that is a choice in the market right now. So how about this? Because I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot myself. What if the iOS apps are, did automatic malware checks and the like, you know, copyright infringement, stuff like that, IP infringement. But it just costs 20 grand to be an iPhone developer. Yeah, I know you're laughing, but you would change the business model, right? Like as the world is now, not in the beginning. Established iOS developers would afford it and they would become effectively like the old video game industry in the 80s. They would be publishers for new developers. But they would be gatekeepers. I know that's a bad word these days, but quality checks. In other words, they could they be they be. No, I I like the word gatekeeper because I don't think it's a bad word, to be honest with you. All right. You know, what? I, I would not let my cousin buy an Android phone. Seriously, like my non-technical cousins, I tell them buy an iPhone. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that strongly. I believe it so strongly. I pay for my mom's phone just because she can't afford an iPhone and I don't want her on Android. I bought my mom an iPhone, right? Like I just, I, I can't handle. She used to have Android phones. I mean, I did, it wasn't the first, it wasn't my first choice, <laughs> but it was literally, they'd, she'd make it six, seven, nine months at most. <laughs> and then I'd be on the phone with her. And we'll blow up. Yeah. Why can't we have something where it's just very expensive to publish malware? Just like the old video game systems, right? Like back in the old, bad old days of the Sega Genesis and, and Atari, or even back in Atari, anybody could publish an Atari cartridge, but it was just expensive. Right. So you had to have some intermediary and the intermediary, intermediary, hopefully, unless you're the ET game, would try to stop you from publishing crap, right? They would be like, no, we're not making this deal with you. But aren't you giving up like one of the fundamental revolutions of the App Store model and all of this is that anybody can create an app and go big? Yeah, I'm arguing that that's fundamentally bad. For the overall health of the market. For my mom and your mom and anybody who's not technical, we can't let them install software for anyone. You're just describing the role of the App Store, essentially. No, I'm not. Because the App Store goes further and it says these business models cannot exist. I'm saying I'm making these expensive. So if you're some, you know, pirate in some, you know, that wants to do this because you get 0.0001 cent per user... Well, if you have to pay 20 grand to get a publisher's license, you're not going to do that. Right. You can publish just about damn near anything, but it's going to cost you. Right. Right now it's $99. That's stupidly low. Right. It should just be more money. It does weed out a surprising amount. There's a lot of free software projects that just will never release an iPhone version because they refuse to pay $99. Well, there's also the whole licensing thing about linking to Coco. I actually kind of 
I it's I don't know twenty grand is the number, but it's an interesting idea. Make it make it less economical to dump on the market. Well, it it could even be like one grand. Like I'm just making twenty grand. I'm not going to die in that hill. It's just more like make it that if you're doing this, if you're buying this publisher's license, this is your living, and you're not going to do anything stupid to get you thrown off. Right. Right. But in exchange, Apple has to drop their bullshit. And once your app is on the store, you can generate revenue any way you want. So they get 20 grand. They don't get the 30 percent, though. Right. That's the. You know, the thing is where where I keep coming back to it, though, is it really. Sideloading solves all of this. It truly does, because you can use your own payment system. And it just seems like the world's most valuable company could figure out a way to make sideloading safe. I know I just argued against it, but. I tell you, I'm really kind of still chewing on this because there has to be a way, man. There has, even if it's like a pain in the ass. I don't believe in sideloading. I don't believe in sideloading at all. It's a, it's a goddamn nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah. I mean, it sure seems like it, you know, uh, there, there's already been MDM, uh, mobile device management system hacks that have caused havoc on enterprises. And that's the market that I generally serve. Right. And I, I'll tell you what really started to make me rethink this since last week was, uh, when I started reading about different just average users getting their systems totally messed up by trying to run Fortnite. Um, and when I realized what a problem that was, and that's, you know, the thing what happened, it became such an issue that Epic had to just discontinue that whole thing and they had to capitulate and get back in the play store. And I'd heard that headline, but I didn't really appreciate the human aspect of the story behind that. Um, and so many of them are uh, kids devices, too. And the whole thing is it's just a shame. Like I had a cousin whose daughter just totally had her her tablet totally hosed. So why does it have to be 30 percent? Well, if they would have just capitulated on that years ago, I don't know if I don't think we'd be. There would be talk- no conversation. Yeah. Let's say it was let's say it was a credit card fee. What, what is that? Uh, three, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you. You know what it two is. To five you, know, you know what it is. You know why. You know why? Well, stock price. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They want services revenue to be up and Apple's arrogant and they feel like they're basically making people, you know, they're they're making you the developer you are. They're making your app possible and um, they need growth in services. They can't have a decline in services right now. But hang, hang on. Let's not let your comment go here. They're making you the developer you are. Yeah, that's how they see it. I think their testimony, Fe- Federici in particular, his testimony on the stand in the Epic trial they believe that th- independent apps aren't really apps or like extensions of the OS, right? Right. Well, they think that the whole platform is way, like, because they create the APIs and because they create the app store and they make the compelling devices and they sell them to consumers, you're only doing like a very small part of all the hard work. I agree with them. Well, but this is a big point. You're just consuming their APIs. You don't own that. This is my whole like shift to Linux, even though you guys can't make a desktop environment that actually doesn't suck. But the server is great. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't have to draw any pixels on the screen, you guys are great. Like the minute, oh. the minute you get into graphics, you guys just have a stroke. I don't understand. But I'm just, I'm just going to point out that we are recording this right now on a Linux box that's like it's been installed and running since like 2018. Just fine. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> you know what? I can't wait to come on the next Linux. You know what? Yeah, you should. we'll do a Linux hater episode. That'd be great. No, your other boyfriend does that already. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. He and I don't like each other anyway. So hey, listen. I gotta get rid of this bell. I'm gonna be dinging all night. You really got. You're on a roll tonight. I'm on a roll. I, you know, I'm super pissed off. Anytime you deal with Rex, you're really just like you know. Yeah, get you fired up. Uh, so let's just talk about. Um, I'm sorry. What is it? Real basic. Oh. <laughs> 
datadog.com slash coder radio. Go there to support the show. And this is Datadog's last time on the show for a bit. So if you've been thinking about taking advantage of this offer, this is your opportunity to do it and let them know the Coder Radio program made a difference. That's datadog.com slash Coder Radio. You go there, you get a 14-day free trial. And if you create a dashboard after you set up your account, you get a T-shirt, too, from Datadog. It's a great service. It lets you analyze code-level performance across your environment and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. They have that continuous profiler that automatically collects profiles from your production servers and your applications, the entire stack, all the time. And then you pull it up like, you know, like your Tom Cruise with the uh, with, like your Tim Cruise over there with the uh, with the gloves on, you know, like your Tim Apple and you're zooming things around. You can do that with their beautiful dashboard. You can go look at your data quickly with minimal overhead and get a unified picture of a snapshot in time. Get your entire environment statistics and data correlated with your code and your metrics and see how the entire stack is doing and get data in real time. And they have over 450 business integrations, So a lot of the applications you're using on a daily basis can be integrated with Datadog. You get the tracing, the log management. And of course, that continuous profiler is always going too, and that brings it all into that one platform. It allows you to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster than ever and communicate with your team in a clean, professional way. So go try out Datadog's products for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash coderadio. And for a limited time, if you start that trial up and you create one dashboard, you get a free Datadog t-shirt. And I could use a t-shirt right about now. I don't know about you. Datadog.com slash coderadio. This seemed like it is making IntelliSense seem like dumb sense because GitHub has launched Copilot, which is an AI pair programmer. It's trained on billions of lines of code, and it actually kind of seems legit, not just like a gimmick, but actually a useful tool that could help complete large sections of code for you. And it understands a lot of context, pretty much way beyond anything that any other code assistant understands uh they've powered it by codex which is an ai system created by open ai and it uh, is designed to look at the context and then provide synthesized code that matches where you're going this is wild yes my master i will move that semicolon i i obviously that should have been a for each i am so sorry my lord yes this is step one in letting the computers just write for themselves right you're you know i've seen enough sci-fi mm, i'm not sure this is a great idea <laughs> You're going to be training the system while it's helping you. To kill us. Yeah, it's trained on billions of lines of public code. GitHub Copilot puts the knowledge you need at your fingertips. All right, but the other side of the coin, maybe a significant way to learn. You know, you're just getting started or you're transitioning to a different language and something like this. I mean, this might get people to stop using VS Code. Like this could be a solid alternative. Like they're just like that Adam thing didn't work out. So this is how about this? Take your IntelliSense and screw it. What do you wait, wait? Wait, what do you mean? Stop. No, it runs in VS Code. Oh, does it? Yeah, it's a VS Code extension, bro. I thought that might be the case. Did you totally miss that part of the intro thing they did? No, I didn't. Uh, I just, uh, I just looked at their f- super fancy website. But now, actually, in the title bar, it does it does say VS Code? Yeah, yeah. It, you have to use VS Code. Oh man! So now something at the scale of wow, that's a. I feel like I feel like that's kind of a thing. Like this is a moment. Like this is a huge launch and they're making they're launching it as a VS Code extension. That's that's huge, I feel like, for VS Code. 
Of course, it is a Microsoft product. It all makes sense when I think about it. VS Code equals IE6. <laughs> I mean, you're an idiot if you're not using VS Code. I think you mean Web Edge View 2 uh, or whatever it's called now. No, no, you joke. But honestly, like I'm, I was a bit big Jeff Brains fan. <sighs> VS Code for me is better than PyCharm. It's better than RubyMine, particularly RubyMine because like JetBrains seems to just like hate Ruby now, like not update it in good ways. I, oh man. I mean, if Microsoft is playing for developers, they've got GitHub, VS Code, and now this. Yeah. Oh, and Azure. I know in the enterprise, people like Azure. Azure, I hate Azure. That dashboard is just not good. Would you be interested in some credits, though? <laughs> Absolutely. Can I run some servers for free? And yes. Listen, this guy named, uh, well, I won't say his name, but his first name was Ivan. He offered me some credits. He asked me something if I'd ever met this guy from Cambridge and if I was very Analytica. I don't know what that means, but big fan. He said he was subscribed to Unfilter on Patreon. Oh, oh, good. I appreciate that. You know, I have to say this is, I feel like this is, um, I, I, you know, I'm, this is not something I'm very serious about looking into, but I do feel like this is pretty significant that it's launching as a, as a VS Code extension. It's, it's really remarkable what they have here. They have, when you take VS Code, you combine it with WSL and GitHub and GitHub Actions, I should specifically say, and then deploying to Azure, Microsoft has really just, in like the span of, seven years has combined a platform for development on the web in a way that no other tech company could even have conceived of. Look what they've done here. This is really pretty impressive. And it seems like this copilot thing's actually semi-legit. Like it really does seem kind of useful. You're kind of missing the forest for the trees here. Copilot plus GitHub Actions, plus how they've managed to enable basically no code one-click integrations for GitHub Actions and GitHub projects. My, which, for those who don't know, I think we said it, GitHub is a division of Microsoft now, right? If you're a new development company and you're not looking at VS Code plus GitHub, you're insane. Unless you have like weird specialty, like, you know, whatever, you're like a COBOL developer. But if you're like a mainstream development company, you're nuts. You're out of your mind. They're going to add support for other platforms for this, right? For other languages, whatever. This is a big thing. Like we're running on GitLab at, at the Bad Botter, but if I had to start over tomorrow, I wouldn't even consider GitLab. I wouldn't even consider Bitbucket, which I used to use. And JetBrains, forget about. It. I wouldn't even. I, I wouldn't pay them a goddamn dime. It would be VS Code for everybody, GitHub Enterprise, GitHub Code Spaces, which is basically an IDE in the cloud. And as somebody in the chat room said, basically it's VS Code in the cloud. You don't even have to have these high-powered laptops anymore. Yeah, I think Microsoft is going to win a lot of hearts and minds here. And the key is they've given up on making everybody a Windows developer, a .NET developer. Right. It's, you know what? My best Linux box is still my Windows 10 machine. Yeah, I, I felt that way for, for a good 5, 10 minutes on Windows 11. So it was pretty great. And I, I, I think it's even more so. It's like you combine, like I said earlier, GitHub Actions. So that way you could be creating a Linux app uh, on on whatever platform you like, and you could have it built and tested and deployed up on GitHub. Uh, JB has started using in a couple of places GitHub Pages, which is freaking great. Uh, and so we're hosting static Hugo sites using GitHub Pages, and Wes or I can check in changes, and I can see the changes he made. He can see the changes I made. 
and it works extremely well. And I, I and I I really think your point about how today, if you were looking at choosing tooling, you just wouldn't even think of using Bitbucket right now or JetBrains. And yeah, that's that that is a that is a that's something I hadn't thought about, but that's remarkable because I I think that's probably pretty universal. Can I just add one more thing in here? Mm. Um, and this is a real world horror story here. So last week I introduced one of my senior developers. And when I say senior, I mean, this guy is Rip Van Winkle. He's old. <laughs> he was there at the Java One conference. I mean, the Java, the first Java conference. He met James Gosling. Stay a while and listen. Yes, Decker Kane is my, my CTO. Um, he will be very angry tomorrow when he listens to this. Or I don't know, man. I, if somebody compared me to Deckard Kane, I think that'd be a pretty legit compliment well i mean let's be honest i'm being sued so much now it's like honestly me and the sheriff on our first name basis um that's a joke please hire us he did one five minute live share have you have you done this yet chris in vs code do you know what i'm talking about yeah i do know what you're talking about i don't think i've done it though okay so so for those who don't know then let's just take it from the top Live share is a feature where you do a screen share and an audio chat, almost like you do a Skype call. But the other person, it doesn't matter what OS they're on. And this is the case on point. I was on Pop. He was on Mac. But it took my build settings and my environment from Pop. And I let him edit the code with his editor settings. So his color scheme, almost like a Google Doc. It showed our cursors to each other. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's cool. But he did not need to configure his environment on Mac OS. He, he just like was like, whatever. It worked. And he could build. And what would happen is over the wire would build on my machine. We did pair programming. He's in New Jersey. I'm in Florida. That is so great. In real time with the voice. Looking at the code, he would say, hey, Mike, I'm on this file. I think this is the problem. I would say, no, you know, no, Dave, it's over here. And it was almost as if back in the old days when we were all in New Jersey, you know, sitting next to each other, somebody would, you know, uh, swing their chair over to somebody else's desk. That is a free feature of VS Code. That's the that got him off of PyCharm. Yeah, it it is a totally new way. It's totally new way to work remotely just in time, too. And we're in the age of pandemics, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Boy, why do I always feel bad when we kind of resolve ourselves to saying that large vendor ABC has best tool? So basically, you want to run a Mac on with VS Code. <laughs> actually, did you just make the case that you could do it just fine on Pop? I think that's actually the, the case you just made. I did, but I had to have stupid a headset microphone on. On my iMac Pro, I could have just sat there and talked like I was chilling like a villain. Great. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, thank you to a cloud guru for sponsoring this show. You can find them on social media. Really, anywhere that's basically a social media site, like, you know, the Instagrams, the Twitters, the YouTubes, it's just slash a cloud guru. You can find them there. Uh, you can find our membership program at coderqa.co. We have a Coderly report that'll be in the works soon for Q3. Also, you get a limited ad feed as a thank you and you support the show and keep us on the air. That's at coderqa.co. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this here uh, week? Directly to hell. No, um, go to dominicm.com. And if you want some dev done, I don't know, hire Chris, whatever. Yeah. Hire me and I'll get you in contact with Mike, you know, for a fee, you know, <laughs> for a fee. That's the business I should get into right there. He's he's my pimp right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just my pimp. You can follow this here podcast for announcements and stuff at Coder Radio Show. The network is at Jupiter Signal and links to the topics we talked about today are at Coder.show slash 420. You'll also find our contact form over there. Your feedback is a big part of the show. 
And uh, we appreciate when you send it in. You can find our feeds over there as well. And you can join our live stream on Mondays, usually. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week.